to the Haunted Davenport podcast, where we talk about retro horror and sci-fi television. My name's Allison, and with me tonight are my co-hosts, Drew. Hello! And Andy. Hello! Usually Val is also with us, but she is recovering from a tonsillectomy, so we're wishing her a speedy recovery, and she will be joining us again soon. So, I'm excited to announce that because we're recording in November, we are doing yet another rendition of night gallery november it's the night gallery yay which if you've listened to our early episodes the night gallery was really one of the main motivations for us to start the haunted davenport podcast because mainly me and other people agreed to it just really wanted to talk about night gallery so we talk about it in our very very first episode of this show back in november of 2017 guys 2017 four years of the Davenport. yeah yeah and then we did an episode where we picked we picked um several different story segments and we did a night gallery november for 2018 Mm -hmm. um we were on hiatus in 2019 and then in 2020 we did it again so this will be our fourth visit to the night gallery and for this fourth episode of night gallery november we decided to focus on Lovecraft in the Night Gallery. Yeah. So we're actually going to go in. Nothing says spooky like Lovecraft. Right. Well, so we're going to. Lovecraft is beyond. It's like they're spooky and fun. The stuff that goes on in Lovecraft is. Pure terror. Yeah. It's it's, it's a little beyond spooky. We're going to talk about two story segments in depth. These are, if you're not familiar with Night Gallery, you're new to that show. Um, Please go back and check out our earlier episodes because we have a much more in-depth discussion on the background of the show, which we're not really going to get into this time. We're going to assume you know a little bit about the Night Gallery series. Um, But basically, each episode, when it aired, had multiple story segments. And so instead of covering full episodes, we're actually covering story segments, which is kind of how we usually do. But for this one, um, we went and specifically picked out the two main episodes segments that have um, adaptations of Lovecraft short stories. One of them is Pickman's Model, and that was from season two, episode 11. And the other one is Cool Air, also from season two, episode 11. And we're also going to talk just briefly about two Lovecraft influenced episode segments which are kind of instead of serious story adaptations they're just sort of jokey little segments that were inserted and we talked a little bit in previous episodes about how creatively there was sort of a push and pull between um show creators jack laird and rod serling where rod serling wanted to have much more of a sort of a artistic expression like high literature Mm. sort of a format much more like the twilight zone and jack laird would get a little goofy and campy (laughs) with some of the things that he'd insert and so there was sort of this creative struggle between the two of them and these two two little segments that are lovecraft influenced and for the first one that's in big air quotes because really that's just the name is in there yeah there's there's a name drop and that's um are definitely Jack Laird's babies. So uh, we're going to talk, before we get into the the more meatier episode segments, we're going to talk about uh, Mrs. Lovecraft Sent Me, 
and Professor Peabody's last lecture, which we actually talked about in 2018, but since we're talking about Lovecraft and that one's a little bit more on point, um, we're going to discuss that one a little more in depth today. Yeah. So we hope you're into that. Um, we're going to go full spoilers for these. Uh, yeah, and I should say I, I have read these short stories. I'm actually a big Lovecraft and literature fan, so there are going to be spoilers for a lot of the sort of Cthulhu mythos, the Lovecraft mythos, um, specifically for Pickman's model and Cool Air. Um, yeah, Pickman's model in particular deviates a little bit from the Night Gallery uh, episode, but... Um, just be forewarned, um, if you're interested in H.P. Lovecraft's writings, they are all in the public domain, um, and all of them are in fact available online. I think even hplovecraft.com, that's H like hotel, P like Peter, Lovecraft like his last name, .com just has all of the texts on it. Um, and as far as I'm aware, I'm not a lawyer, so don't sue me over this, but as far as I'm aware, because they're in the public domain, it's all legal to just read it online. Um... So enjoy. The, both of these stories, you could finish both of these stories in half an hour uh, if you were really dedicated. And if you're just kind of moseying through, maybe an hour. But these are not long reads. Um, and, and Night Gallery in its almost entirety is available to watch for free on NBC.com. So if you mm. want to see these episodes before we dis discuss them, and like I said, we're just doing segments from the episodes, so you could watch those story segments or the full episodes, you can check those out over on NBC.com, and I will post a link in our show notes on the HauntedDavenport.com. And let's see. Um, I was going to say, oh, if you are also interested in going deeper into watching more Night Gallery and you want to watch them online, you're going to have to look hard to find the pilot because that's separate from the NBC collection for some reason. Is that is that the Roddy McDowell episode? Yeah. Oh, yeah that's with, such a good episode, and, and the too. And that Steven Spielberg directed yeah. with uh, Joan Crawford. Mm -hmm. and, and, and also we, our very first episode. Yeah, we talk about that a lot in the first episode. Like I said, there's a reason why we started this podcast, <laughs> so it's always fun to come back around to, to Night Gallery. Sound quality's not as good, but we're still working on those things. Yeah. Well, that was back when we were recording on an iPhone. Just an iPhone. Yeah. How, how far we've come. Well, we weren't sure if we wanted to fully commit to a podcast. It was just kind of like a dip your toe in the water kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We had a discussion, mm -hmm. and we weren't really willing to invest in any actual equipment, you know? Right. So maybe we're kind of slackers in that way, but being new to podcasting, we just kind of wanted to see if this is something we enjoy and mm -hmm. it's 2021 and we're still doing it. So yes. apparently the answer was yes. Mm. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to give a little disclaimer too, um, because whenever you talk about HP Lovecraft, there's always, uh, the inevitable controversy that comes up yes. and that he is, um, he was almost assuredly a racist. He was definitely a classist, uh, what we would call today, probably an academic elitist. Um, I, we're not making any apology for that here. You know, the man was who he was, and that uh, has been talked about ad nauseum on the internet. Uh, however, his influence on culture, uh, pop culture and horror specifically, cannot be understated. He's up there with the legends of the genre, you know, like Edgar Allan Poe and Dante for, you know, describing these weird, mythical, horrible worlds and traveling through them. Uh, and it's... You know, uh, this is an ongoing conversation I constantly have with people about separating the art from the artist, if at all possible. Uh, I'm not sure if it is possible, but here we are talking about, you know, the things that this guy wrote 100 years later. So. Right. Well, and 
honestly, I think everybody has to decide what's right for them and everybody's comfort levels are going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, with, in the case of Lovecraft, he's long gone. His work, as you said, is in the public domain and you can easily check out his writings or watch, you know, films based on his work without actually supporting him any longer. So I feel like that's kind of, you know, if you're concerned about supporting somebody who is very bigoted, Mm -hmm. that's... It's, he's not benefiting, really, unless there's some kind of situation in the afterlife that we don't know about. Yeah. I don't think you're benefiting Lovecraft by checking out his stories if they're of interest to you. But again, you know, live with your own comfort level and, and do what feels right to you. Yes, yes. Uh, with that out of the way. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, though, Andy, because it's always a concern and you don't want to be insensitive to, to people no. who ha- have a problem with you know, I... Yeah, and I, and I believe it's The Rats in the Walls contains a cat, which is named not a pleasant name. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, um, and... Watch out for that. And I think, and it, you know, like, there's a... Where we live, there was a local bar that was known as Lovecraft that was a horror-themed bar that mm-hmm. changed their name to The Coffin Club because they no longer felt comfortable with the association. Mm-hmm. And with some horror film festivals have changed their name. It's, you know, it's understandable. You, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to be look like you're propping up a racist, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately Um, there's a lot of art in the world that was created by problematic people. A lot. And, and that's, that's an interesting point too, because Lovecraft, a lot of people say like, well, you know, it's like, yeah, he wrote all this stuff down and he seems to have all these, you know, divisive opinions about, you know, he's kind of an aristocrat. He's kind of a racist, but he was also a white guy in the early 1900s in new England. And it, and you know, historically speaking, probably most people in that region in that time were probably pretty racist. Right. So, you know, take it for what it is. He's, He's a historical figure at it, this point. It doesn't make it right, but no. it definitely um, makes sense yes. when you look at the context, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, he's coming from a failed aristocratic family and complaining about all the uneducated, unwashed masses poisoning his, his culture. Yeah, it happens. So that being said, um, we're going to get into some, some goofy stuff. We're going to talk about a short segment from season two, episode one, called Miss Lovecraft Sent Me. And it stars Sue Lyon, who, if you ever saw the original Lolita film, you would recognize her in a heartbeat because she plays Lolita. Mm. Um, and in this, she is a babysitter who is sent by an agency um, run by Miss Lovecraft, Lovecraft to agency. a Dracula-esque vampire castle for a babysitting gig. Like, like you said, like Spock, if he was a vampire, is what this guy looks like. That is like. what I said when we saw him on screen. He's a little bit kind of bluish the makeup is kind of ridiculous Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. hair is weird but it's fun it's 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 dumb it doesn't really have anything to do with lovecraft other than they thought let's throw in some horror names yep and she uh the the whole gag is that he's a vampire and she he's hired her as a human sacrifice to his three-legged monster child Mm -hmm. um (laughs) <laughs> and, and, he, and that's and it. You get the impression his wife is a werewolf and she's out on the prowl yeah, or something. Right. <laughs> or the kid's a werewolf as well. Yeah. We're always back before dawn. <laughs> right. After hearing some weird noises while she's left alone to wait downstairs, she decides to take off. Also, she's not real keen on what the vampire has in his library. No. One of the books is the Necronomicon. <laughs> he's got a copy of the Necronomicon. He's got, oh God, he's got a, he's got a couple of spell books in there. Just real mm-hmm. classics that you want to read. How to summon Satan. Yeah. Something along those lines. Not exactly. Yeah. That's pretty much the entire... That's the entire bit. Bit yeah. in a nutshell. 
Um, but I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that the painting that they did for this is really awesome. Yes. It's uh, her waiting at the door as it's, you know, being opened. And then got the coolest knocker ever. Um, great knocker. Yeah, great <laughs> just one knocker, one great knocker, um, the and then so the <laughs> classing it up, and then the the other great thing, the set is like hammer horror, yeah, deliciousness. It's it, um, it reminded me a lot of oh, what was that that hammer one we watched where they were all stuck in like the mortuary or the morgue or something, and they summoned. A devil or something. I can't. I, I've seen so much horror; it's all starting to run together. But I think right. it, I think I watched it with you guys because I don't watch a lot of sixties, seventies. I think you might be thinking own. of the Tales of the Crypt. That's um, yeah. That's the episode, the, the Tales of the Crypt one. The the anthology they did the movie. Oh, the movie from right. yeah. That was that was actually an Amicus production, I right. think. But oh. but Amicus and Hammer were contemporaries. And, right. Cranking out, cranking out the good schlocky yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the set reminded me a lot of that. Is there was obviously a lot of like care put into the atmosphere, right? But it was also very vampy and, well, literally vampy. Very vampy. And it was very uh, campy and cheeky. Yes. You know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, honestly, it. I think those those anthologies that they put out hold up as as horror classics. I mean, mm -hmm, I feel like mm -hmm. they're a little bit campy, but they're not. They're not ridiculous, and they're good, and they're engaging. Well, I was saying this. Oh, this, this was this campy and. Vampy. Sorry, I thought we were still yeah. talking about. No, no, about no, the, the amicus. The yeah. I'm talking about the the, the set they built. Yeah. It's a very small set, but it has a lot going for it. Yeah, it's, you could have done small and tall, so it gives it like more space than it really has. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. basically, you know, there's a fireplace, a bookshelf, a like a staircase, a staircase, and a couch. Yeah, you know, and then a lot of antiques thrown about everywhere mm -hmm. it's nice to see wall that. sconces and candles you know it's, it's fun if you like spooky things and also just the fact that they put that much into a three minute segment. right really it's cool. it's intense how much and the painting like they made this yeah. awesome painting for a three minute segment yep you know wow every segment gets a painting right every segment and so with that do we want to talk for a second time about Professor Peabody's last lecture. Sure. So in this one, it stars it stars Carl Reiner. So it's really fun to see him mm -hmm. doing this little segment. But it's basically the story of a professor, so it's very a professor who's teaching a <laughs> class, and he's he's teaching about the old ones. Yes. And he's writing all their names on the chalkboard and describing what each one is and basically being disrespectful and mocking them as a storm begins to brew. And in his classroom, he is interrupted multiple times by Mr. Block, Mr. Derelith, and Mr. Lovecraft. The, the man himself. Yes. yes. And the, the joke is, you were saying that uh, the, 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 the people in his class drew the inspiration to make their writings from attending this lecture. Yeah, I was reading, I was reading, and forgive me because I don't remember which website it was, somebody had written a review of this and it was actually in the comments mm -hmm. below. Somebody had commented that the whole point of the episode was to imply that this incident 
inspired all these writers mm -hmm. to write about this material and that Lovecraft got his idea for Cthulhu because Professor Peabody trans transforms into him by the end of the episode as punishment for his yeah, blasphemy. For, for invoking these these eldritch terrors names. Does that he one is... churn into Cthulhu, or does he just churn into? I'm sorry. I, no, I, I, I would describe the one him we as... should not mention. No, uh, I, I would describe him as turning into a a star spawn or some sort of yeah. some kind Cthulhu of monster. Yeah, a creature in that vein. Because he's, he's, he's a Kelpie tentacle thing at the end. Right, of the right. Yeah. and it's so cheesy, but it's also it's fun and it's way more relevant, at least to. Mm -hmm the Lovecraft culture and influence and kind of more like a funny love letter, you know, yeah. from the show to, to that, to that writer. And also, you know, Robert Block and, um, and also. It's a lot of in joke name dropping. Right. Yeah. Well, Basically, that's well, the whole bit. And August Derleth, cause both, both Robert Block and August, August Derleth were people that wrote within that the, realm. The Cthulhu mythos. mythos. Yeah. As well. and Robert Block, um, storied writer worked in hollywood for a long time did author a lot of, of psycho author of psycho yeah. um he also i believe worked on some hitchcock presents yes um but he also the the character from the hp lovecraft story uh the haunter of the dark robert blake is supposed to be supposedly based on robert bloch and there is a oh, okay yeah there's a robert bloch story in which hp lovecraft is also a character there's a character based on him and in both of these stories they kill each other as an homage to each other as uh, you know horror artours. Um, Block's an interesting character. He actually started out writing like cosmic horror and weird fiction and wrote correspondence to H.P. Lovecraft. And H.P. Lovecraft encouraged him to write to these other writers and uh, kind of get involved in the game. But ultimately, Robert Block went on to write more uh, thriller, mystery, I guess you could call them. Um, things like that, like Psycho. Um, but he got his start right here in the, the pulpy cosmic horror where all this is based. I think that's so cool too that their connection and how he influenced these other writers and how everybody was you know cutting their teeth writing stuff for Weird Tales magazine. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really neat to think about. So yeah, um, that's a fun one. It's silly. It's short. But if you're you know gonna watch some episodes from season two and you like Lovecraft and you don't think it's annoying to have him spoofed in a ridiculous yeah. way then you know go ahead and check this one out but professor isn't even saying his name out loud a blasphemy <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty silly <laughs> so the actual adaptations from lovecraft directly pikmin's model and cool air are not silly at all they're definitely presented in a straightforward manner which is really cool um so i think let's get into pikmin's model Pikmin's yeah. model was directed by Jack Laird, and it's from season two, and it's a segment from episode 11. It stars Bradford Dillman as Richard Upton Pikmin and Louise Sorrell as Mavis Goldsmith. And mm -hmm. um, basically, you have a young high society Victorian woman who's taking painting classes from Pikmin, and she's... she's got a huge crush on him she's lovesick and she thinks he's dark and tormented and so and, that and oh isn't he and that intrigues her more right um, well the whole thing begins when it's present day and a man has found a lost pikmin yeah he found a signed pikmin right so it's like a famous artist that you never find his work it's all lost you know 
and he found one, and they start telling the story of Pikmin, and then that's where we pick up. Yeah, and this this one deviates quite a bit. Like the the spirit of the story is the same, but it's um, it's it it, it, it from it, the original from the writing. from the original writing because the the original writing in classic Lovecraft faction. Pikmin himself is barely in it. It is all told in narrative after the fact, sort of like Dracula, where it's all, you know, after the oh, fact diary sure. entries. It's this guy talking about like, oh yeah, I used to, you know, represent Pikmin and show his art and stuff like that. And then I dropped him and I'm going to tell you this sordid tale about why I dropped him. And it's terrifying. Um, but it takes place in contemporarily with H.P. Lovecraft, so in like the 1920s. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious why they decided to set it back in the Victorian times and, you know, adjust for it. Um, other than that, you know, I, I thought it was fun. And like I say, it's true to the spirit. The spirit of the story is the same, where you've got this artist guy and he's drawing horrible, horrible monster, ghoulish demons. Where's he? Oh, do you, draw what you see is what he says. And oh, but, but how's he seeing these things? Right. Um, I was really hoping for part of it that, uh, it turns out that they, you know, pull the old switcheroo on you and it turns out that he's the monster and, you know, she'll go into like his studio and find a big mirror and he's the, he's the ghoul that he's been painting. Um, but they play that part pretty straight. There's a, there is a, a well in the basement that ends up being a place where these monsters come out and he draws them, I guess. Right. Um, well, there's these stories about town and the, yeah. the ill neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, with, the ladies of the night and whatnot and how there used to be monsters that would take people away mm -hmm. and that they sealed up every single opening to the ground they could find. Hopefully yeah. they found them all. Because there are these subterranean tuttles where these 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 underground chuds live and <laughs> Right. Well they even imply that the reason why the creatures are coming up from the depths is to capture women as potential mates. Yeah. And there's a he has a portrait that he painted of himself as a young boy with his mother, and then mm. the oh, that's, creature, the, that's the best one in the, the show. The creature's I think. looming behind him, and you kind of wonder if they're implying that, like, is this part of his family lineage? Yeah, well, and because well, well, he has, he also wears gloves all the time, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then you see later he doesn't have the glove on; he has a monster. He's got hand. a monster hand. So, so I kind of think it's implied that he is the son of one of these, yeah, monster. Uh, incidents we'll call it yeah well and, and they they say also at the end of the episode you know it's he painted what he saw and what he was so mm -hmm. I, I think that you know that that lays it right there and the sets are great they're these you know shadowy kind of uh uh drafty looking places set in victorian mm -hmm. uh new england england somewhere some um i think new england -ish. yeah i think yeah. so um I, I, there are a lot of good moments in this episode where uh, he says, I've never felt the need for human companionship. He's talking about, <laughs> he's, he's, he's trying to turn this lady down as gently as he can, but uh, she's, she's just not taking the hint. Um, right. Yeah. And one of her responses to his downturns is something like when the, in the acts of my heart, I am God. Yes. Yes. She straight up <laughs> is stalking him too. Yeah. It's yeah, she go she she well, figures he... out where he lives from one of his paintings and right. then breaks into his place. Right. Mm -hmm. And also she he puts her down saying, you know, like how, you know, spoiled rich girl, you get to do whatever you want, and she totally just brings it back to him later when like he's mm -hmm. like, You can't do this, like, oh well, you know, 
like you said, I'm a spoiled rich rich girl. I can do what I want. Yeah. It's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Yeah, maybe my 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 biggest issue with this, and th and this is one of the things that's hard, notoriously hard when you're adapting Lovecraft work, um, is adapting the 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 unspeakable, the undescribable, the unillustratable. And I have a packet a passage here from uh, Pickman's model, and the original it says. Any magazine cover hack can splash paint around wildly and call it a nightmare or a witch's sabbath or a portrait of the devil, but only a great painter can really make such a thing really scare or ring true. And that's uh, one of the things that features a lot in Lovecraft's work is the indescribable nature of the horrors he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And a recurring theme in Pickman's model, the written story, is how lifelike and how terrifying the eyes especially, but the faces of these ghoulish things are. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone's like, how is he capturing these faces? You couldn't, you know, like, no one could possibly pull this sort of face out of nowhere. Where is he getting this stuff? Um, and of course it turns out he's drawing them from life. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, and, and I think that, that the, the paintings are great. I love the ghoul that they did. I think the costume is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was mentioning, you know, this is, only four years after the Gorn from the Star Trek episode Arena, where, you know, Kirk fights the guy in the lizard costume. There's, defi <laughs> there's definitely a guy in a costume in this episode, but it looks fantastic. And I think that if you shot this a with a little bit more emphasis on the shadow and you had a, a few more quick cuts, this would be like, like a contemporary scary costume. Right. It's good. And there are a couple of really good shots of the eyes lighting up and glowing red. Um... I yeah, think they were they, actually nominated for an Emmy for makeup. Yeah, for the... it was great. Um, but it's also like once you see a thing and you can describe a thing, it becomes not unspeakable, which is kind of at the core of the Lovecraft thing, which is hard to do. This is not a knock against Night Gallery. This is a good episode, right. um, but it's hard to do with Lovecraft. It's taking his written world, his written worlds of undescribable things, and then trying to literally show them to you right right and when you read a passage that says like oh you know it suggests of a fish or a ghoul and it has scales and tentacles and then your mind just fills in you know this creepy thing and then you see someone else's interpretation of it on the screen you're like oh i guess it's not you know so much but it's hard to do it's really hard to do and kudos to them for going there and really like like i said the costume is great right it's it's good well i was reading so we have um a hardcover book that is all the paintings from mm -hmm. Night Gallery, and I was looking at each of the paintings through the book while we were watching them, and there's several paintings in this one because of the show is about a painter, and mm -hmm. so he has multiple of these paintings, and the artist actually has lots of input in the book, and he was talking about how for the segment, they gave him kind of free reign on mm. designing the creatures, and that originally he kind of read them as, like, dog-like, but then he kind of skewed them a little more rat-like yeah. subterranean dwellers. But then also that he was um, asked for input and heavily used to design the costumes mm -hmm. as well. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, they, yeah, they like, match up well. Gave him so much. Mm -hmm. Like, I think other episodes, they kind of just say, like, we need a painting of this. Yeah. And then he would, you know, imagine something and give kind of an abstract version of it. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that because of the fact that these paintings were supposed to exist in the story and yeah. the story was set during this time, mm -hmm. he had to change his painting style a little more. 
to match a painting style of that time. Yeah. Which is yes. pretty cool. Yeah. It is really they cool. And that, that. The, the picture of him with the, the kind of ghoul lurking behind him and him and his mother is just, it's fantastic. Right. I, it, it is awesome. I love that image. I kind of feel like that one's the one that's a little more his than yeah. Yeah. as well if you like look through all the other paintings he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, if, if people are interested in checking that book out, it's it just came out within the last year. It's absolutely gorgeous, and if you're a hardcore Night Gallery fan, I think it's kind of a must-own. Mm. It's called Rod Sterling's Night Gallery, The Art of Darkness, and it's by Scott Skelton and Jim Benson, and there is a introduction by Guillermo del Toro. So if people are interested in learning more about that book or other things that this indie publisher put out, mm -hmm. I will post mm -hmm. a link in our show notes. And they also, in their in their website, they have, in their shop section, they have figurines of Pikmin's model, of the creature. Yes. They have a couple different versions. And oh, so they have so them as, as collectible items. And another thing I wanted to mention about the creature is that he's got a little bit of like a Bigfoot or Sasquatch type design kind of, to yeah. him. Like not full on, like not as giant and looming, but just like sort of a hairy creature and the he's fact like, that he's kidnapping people. Mm -hmm. Rat squat. Right. He, well, yeah, he's, yeah. he's kind of hunched and he kind of shuffles, but he still, you know, has a presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I just think it's interesting because in some regions they have stories about women, especially being absconded or chased by a Bigfoot because mm -hmm. they're taking an interest for very bad reasons. Well, and this is a uh, a recurrent theme in some of H.P. Lovecraft's stories. There's another story, I forget the title of it, but basically the plot is um, there's this town out in the boonies and people are disappearing mm -hmm. uh, during thunderstorms uh, and they're being abducted by like, you know, something. You know, I actually think I've heard a, a I think I attended a radio performance where that was the story they covered. I can't remember the yeah, name can't, of it, but that sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's it's got some generic name. It's like the Night Terror or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's good. And But this is another, this is the theme that there's things underground or things forgotten by older people that, uh, that, that we shouldn't be messing with and that are best left forgotten. Uh, there's actually another really, really good line from the uh, short story. Um, is the the only saving grace of the present is that it's too damn stupid to question the past too very closely, <laughs> which I think I think is great for horror right there. Like, oh, right. shouldn't go digging. And then of course at the end of the episode, when we uh, when we wrap it all up after the story of Pikmin is finished being told, we return to uh, the modern day and they wander down to the basement where they right. find a because they're looking for more paintings. They're looking for more paintings. Found one painting. And they they like, wander down to the basement more. and they find this. This bricked over hole, and they say, "Oh, well, maybe there's more kept in here. I wonder what's in here. Is it could it be a sewer? I, I don't know. Let's get the pickaxe and open it right. up." Right, and then they say, you know, like, well, what if there's something else in there? Mm -hmm. Which they're not thinking subterranean rat beast men. Yeah, but they're thinking Pikmin disappeared. No one knows what happened to him. Yeah. Well, what happened to him at the end of the episode before that was that. When she comes, breaks into his house to, like, profess her love and everything, mm -hmm. uh, the the ghouls come out of the ground and then they attack her, but he defends her and everything, and they uh, take him down below, and she comes back, collects all of his paintings, which multiples of them are of these creatures mm. eating corpses. Yeah. Um, or, or carting women off. Or, right. Yeah. And then... 
they get a bricklayer to brick over the the well in the basement. Mm-hmm. Well, and you you hear in the towards the end when they go back to the modern day people talking about the painting that was discovered, they mention that there's like ten lost Pikmins, which I believe are the paintings that she gathers right. up oh, at yeah. the end after he's died. And so they're they're getting hungry for the value of these paintings because they're lost works from a somewhat famous artist and the one painting that they did discover in his old studio, I can't remember what he said the value was, but mm-hmm. it was you know it was a lot, and this is in right. nineteen early nineteen seventies money, mm-hmm. like a hundred thousand so. or something. Yeah. yeah, which would easily be millions today. Which right. would motivate you to go look for more, but sure. also you, yeah, but you shouldn't go digging. You shouldn't go digging, <laughs> and it's like just take take your take your big windfall and go. Mm-hmm. Don't ask for more. Yeah, but they didn't know the they paintings know. were of real beans. No, Pikmin's models. So about how many paintings and illustrations did they do for this episode, do you think, Drew? Drew's looking through the book as, we, as we're talking. As I just flipped off. In the episode, I, I, I distinctly remember there being around um, ten. So um, I'm, I'm guessing that's two, probably three, the four, most five. art done for one specific episode, maybe? Yeah, because the, well, the Roddy McDowell one, they had all those versions of the same painting. Of the cemetery. Yeah, but yeah. there were only like six or seven of those. There's nine um, works that he made for it, although two are like sketches. Mm-hmm. One is really the, good, a sketch that he made of one of the models eating corpses. Yeah. And one is the sketch that... Um, the female lead, she drew a sketch of wilting flowers, and then she was sketching in Pikmin's face yeah. in behind the wilting flowers, mm-hmm. to which Pikmin then took over her sketch, drew over the top of it one of his beasts. Yes. And there is, I, I have to say, there is a lot of witty repartee in this, too, between, like, is that what you think of me, that I wilt flowers? Right. <laughs> right, and then it turns out that, you know... He was saying, you know, you have to paint what you see. And and he was saying, I paint uh, what I see in myself. And she says, well, the self-portrait of mine was the flowers. The flowers were me. Oh. It's it's, it's so laden with meaning. Goodness. (laughs) So I think that might be the most paintings and illustrations done for one story segment Mm. for the Night Gallery. I could be wrong about that. But it's a very art-centric episode which i think it's always a special joy when you come across a night gallery episode and art is featured prominently in the plot yeah it's I about that's art just great it's good mm-hmm. so i want to talk a little bit about our two main stars in this um pickford as i mentioned before was played by bradford dillman who was a veteran of a lot of tv from this time period but if you were a fan of escape from the planet of the apes you would recognize him he also played a part in piranha um, was he the main guy in Piranha? It's been a while since I've seen that. Um, anyway, he was definitely in Piranha. He was also a recurring, um, not a recurring character, but a recurring actor on Murder, She Wrote. A lot of times if they liked certain actors, they just bring them back again and again. They did that on the X-Files as well. It's just something you start to notice. Or like Columbo. Lots of great TV. Use the same kind of workhorse people again and again mm-hmm. if they liked working with them working and they actors yeah kind of blend them into new characters for new plots and then Lu- louise sorrel playing mavis goldsmith she's i think she's pretty adorable here even though she's a little bit of a rich pain in the ass but she <laughs> um 
was a veteran of daytime television. And one of the things I remember her from childhood is she was on Days of Our Lives and actually was still doing Days of Our Lives up through last year. So um, just a longtime soap opera veteran. She also previously appeared on Santa Barbara and lots of different movies um, throughout the 70s and 80s, a lot of television films. Um, she was in the made-for-TV movie with Tom Hanks um, from 1982, Mazes and Monsters. And she's in this 80s remake of Where the Boys Are that's pretty silly, but one that I'll just watch whenever I'm in the mood for like a dumb 80s beach movie. And she kind of often plays a well-to-do character. Like she's very typecast as being kind of, um, sometimes she's kind of a villain. Like she was sort of a, sort of a slightly villainous character on Days of Our Lives, very conniving, but very much you know, prim and proper and high society. Hmm. So, I, I don't can, know. I, I can see her. She seems like she plays a, a kind of socialite pretty well. I just really enjoy her, and I have since I was a kid, so I always, I always get a little excited when I see her in things. Hmm. And I think the I paint what I see theme, or paint what you see, um, was particularly st standing out for me because as somebody who started out as a fine arts major in college... I used to butt heads with my oil painting professor because mm. she would say that all the time and we'd have to draw a certain amount of time each day in our sketchbooks and she was always frustrated whenever I wanted to turn anything into anything kind of like fantasy or surreal. She just basically wanted me to sketch what was in my apartment. Oh, like or, still lifes or yeah, something? I mean, yeah, I mean I did all the still life and, and the live model exercises in class but on my own time if I was going to sketch every day I would sometimes want to sketch from my mind mm -hmm. and use you know things from what I could see as a way to measure and have proportion but she just didn't see any kind of fan fantasy based art as legitimate art. Mm. And, um, well, more's the pity because people like you are making the real money these days and you know, uh, yeah, people like me, not me, yeah. <laughs> um, but that would be great. I mean, that is actually like what I do for my profession. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I suppose if I ever wanted to reach out and rub it in her face, I could, but <laughs> she just, she had different sensibilities. She was actually a really great professor, but she just, she wanted me to go in a different direction and she didn't respect my own creative urges. And so when I heard that, I'm just like, oh, I'm uh, sick of hearing get that. Get out. <laughs> But in this case, Pikmin is, you know, mm. he is painting creatures that he's physically seeing, but he's also seeing them in his mind's eye because they're such an ingrained part of his life. So it has a double meaning for him. And... Yes, that he's that he is also a monster. Mm-hmm. Huh? I guess that's how he felt. Yeah. Some would just say it's different. <laughs> Can't maybe, we all just get along? I was gonna say, you know, these days maybe some people are into being carted off by monsters. You Cor know? Corpse eating ghouls and and humans. Can't we all just get along? Can't we just get along? I mean, they're just, they're eating corpses. They're not killing people. That's fine. You know, I don't want to. You know, they. It's bad enough that some of them hold office, but. <laughs> hey, zing. <laughs> so one more thing I wanted to point out about. I think it's really interesting, as you were saying, Andy, that in the story, the original story, it takes place in the 20s, not this, mm -hmm. you know, Victorian New England. Yeah, well, because the, the guy himself, the guy who, like, is talking about Pikmin and, like, why he dropped him and why he stopped supporting his art, um, he was like, well, you know me, you know, we served together back in France, so I'm, you know, I'm no, I'm no baby when it comes to seeing horrible stuff, but this stuff, you know, it made me, so it's, it's kind of like a, wow, I'm a big tough man and I went to war, but the, even this stuff freaks me out. Right, yeah, yeah. no, that makes sense, and since 
I don't know why they chose, I, I don't have any enough background information to know why they chose to, to set it in this time period instead, but I love the costumes. Maybe it was just an aesthetic thing. It could be. Um, well, yeah, they were obsessed with Victorian times. Well, I mean, it's the then. gothic era right. of of horror and writing and and design, and I think there's this, there's just something I love, and I've talked about this before, but I love the 70s interpretation, late 60s, early 70s. Mm -hmm. Their version of, of Victoriana is its own special sort of brand. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a little crazy. bit larger, for, larger yeah. than life, and you get these ornate sets, but they also are lit like a mid-century film, and mm -hmm. like there's a little more color and more pop, and it's just... It's just fun. I really, really enjoy that aesthetic. Yeah. Well, and in the original, were you saying it was told secondhand by a guy that used to be, like, work with Pikmin? Yeah, right? yeah. And, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, and I don't know what happened to Pikmin, but, you know, I'm sure he got his for messing around with those demons or whatever. Right. Yeah. Where, um, like... Whereas in this, it's, like, just some story that some guy is telling. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there and there is uh, pretty common for Lovecraft. There is no love angle in the written story um, that was added, and I, I think it, uh, you know, like Allison was saying earlier, it may be more of a um, like the you know the woman attracted to a tortured figure sort of thing. It may be a little more horrifying if there is you know some monster pursuing a woman in the '60s '70s, you know, because that's kind of a, a the the final girl trope plays in this because she escapes. Um, and she's left to sort of deal with the aftermath of the thing that's happening. It's just, it, it, yeah, it was a stylistic change. I don't really understand it myself, but. They probably thought it would be more interesting to the viewers would mm. be my guess. Or someone said, oh, you gotta, you know, gotta put a romantic angle or put a female in there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just. Which, yeah. And that's a, that is a good segue if we're, if that's all we want to say about Pikmin's model. Yeah. To talk about. To talk about cool air. air. Which, um, beat for beat, pretty much follows the story, except the connecting thing here is that, once again, we have a romance subplot where a, a woman is attracted to a, a tortured and mysterious figure who has, um, you know, he has some happenings in his life of grim portent. Where Lovecraft himself didn't have much use for women. Apparently not. He, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not sure if that's one of those things that he was, you know, totally against or just, you know, not interested in. Uh, just didn't write a whole lot of romance or female characters. Or he just had no idea how to write about them. That And that could be it, too. Sure. And also, in that, I mean, in a lot of people's minds, especially, I mean, still, unfortunately, mm. somewhat today, but back then when he first came about and, and was writing prolifically, women were seen as second-class citizens. So you're saying he was classist? Like oh, he yeah. He may have just thought that they really weren't worth his creative time and energy, mm -hmm. or he may not have had enough experience to feel comfortable writing. No, that. I mean, and you have to, for context, Lovecraft was born before women in America had the right to vote. So, you know. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this one, Cool Air, was from season two. It was a segment from episode 12. So just the episode after where Pikmin's model came mm -hmm, out. Mm -hmm. And like you said, this kind of got this parallel dynamic between the two main characters. Um, it was directed by Jeannot Swark, and he directed many episodes of The Night Gallery. Mm. Um, and it stars Barbara Rush as Agatha Howard and Carl Lucas as Dr. Min Munoz. Munoz. Yeah. I have this, I had the teal day on the end and then I was blinking on how do I pronounce that? Cause I'm rusty <laughs> on my Spanish. So 
basically you have the daughter of a professor reaching out to a contemporary of her father's mm -hmm. and her father's passed away and she's I believe she's visiting Spain is how she's because it takes place in Spain I think this I don't no. know if the original, or is he from Spain? He's from Spain. Oh, okay. It takes place here. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're in like a slummy part of like Spanish Harlem or something. Okay, for yeah. some, some reason I thought maybe they were in Spain, but everybody New was England place English. or yeah. New York or something. So anyway, she she reaches out to visit him because um, I guess they had some similar ideas about death. And yes. she just, you know, was, I think it's kind of those, those, I'm in the neighborhood and I wanted to drop in and look in on you. Mm -hmm. um, and she's told by his landlady that he's very odd and always has his room really cold and mm -hmm. and does, you get the impression the landlady doesn't really particularly care for him yes and she finds no he's the kook upstairs well and, yeah. he, and, and he has a a large and noisy air conditioning unit that also uses ammonia and it leaks so the right. whole apartment building smells like ammonia sometimes. it Which runs terrible. runs yes. off of ammonia yeah because it's back in the day before yes. Freon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Delicious Freon. And smells so much better. Don't drink Freon. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't drink ammonia either. Yeah, well, yeah, but I, I don't feel like people would be inclined don't to. Don't drink anything that comes out of a refrigerating unit. Yeah. That's, well, except maybe milk, you know. Like. Well, no, that's from <laughs> out of the yeah. Such a valuable PSA from the haunted Davenport. Uh -huh. Yeah. Don't drink like toxic chemicals. Yes, please. Don't. Despite what you may view you know. on our programs, right. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you have this. She she meets Dr. Munoz, and she is basically she starts to develop a deep affection for him. He's mm -hmm. very intelligent, very wistful. You know, he's talking to her about um, classic Spanish painters over a candlelit dinner, mm -hmm. which right. one can only imagine is very cold because he has to keep his room at below 55 below degrees 55 at degrees. all times. Because, and... because he has, quote, an illness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're not really told what that is at the beginning, but she, you know. She goes with it, though. Right. Well, she's she, game. She's, she's mm -hmm. charmed by him. Yeah, she's, she's a good sport about it. She puts on some, she, after the first meeting, she wants to meet again, so... You know, she says she'll have gloves and a coat. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think she's delighted that, not delighted was probably the wrong word, but, she, you know, he's a widower, so she's intrigued. You know, so she wants to spend time with this older, refined gentleman. Mm -hmm. And well, who knows, maybe she, you know, maybe he reminds her of her father a little bit. There could right. be that playing into Well, there's it. also, like, kind of a thing where it's, like, her her father i'm not sure how old he was when he passed but like they were contemporaries you know but this guy's not that much older looking than her right which is suspicious oh, she, yeah she might she place. might have some daddy issues i don't know yeah that too i do have to say that while i find the story interesting i think this episode is a little bit sleepier compared to other segments of the night gallery because if you're kind of lulled with this atmosphere of Spanish guitar throughout That the was episode. a weird stylistic choice. And they're just having these, like, long philosophical conversations. So I could see how someone could, like, maybe mm -hmm. drift off during this one. Although the conclusion is, is pretty horrific. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And so it pays off in that way. They're really digging, digging in deep with the whole Spanish thing. Yeah. Well, and, and again, these are based on short stories that are, like maybe 10 pages long right there's not a lot of source material to draw on so like i think they embellished it a little sure. bit um so you definitely have to 
come up with some some things to fill in the gaps to make it compelling and make it interesting for the viewer even though you know these are segments so it's not an entire episode yeah. that this is taking up because they'd have to develop even more and i think for the most part, I think it flows pretty well. And I also thought that Barbara Rush was pretty captivating. She's just, mm -hmm. she's gorgeous and graceful, but she's also very, a very sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. And she just seems very sincere and kind and concerned about this man. And so you're kind of with her, but I could also see how someone could be like, oh, this is kind of a, a snooze fest a yeah. little bit. Yeah, they're just sitting around and talking the whole time. What's yeah, going on? And not yeah. even about like horrible stuff. It's like, oh, these painters. Well, it's not even scenes of them talking for the most part. It's scenes of her re recollecting yes. about talking. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of it's told because you, um, you get the story, it starts with her telling the tale. Yeah, this is a once again after the fact. Right. This is again a very Lovecraft She's narrative. She's in a cemetery yeah. and you're just shown this Right, because she scenery. visits his grave. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the sort of the quiet, beautiful cemetery with yes. big overflowing trees. His, his grave, which is partially obscured by leaves mm -hmm. for, for a nice reveal later on, but... <laughs> Yeah, so the, you know, he's got this air conditioning unit, and the, the tipping point for this episode comes when there is a storm, and it is unseasonably hot, and there's a thunderstorm, uh, knocks the power out for their building, and suddenly his, uh, his little gasoline-powered or electrical-powered air conditioning unit stops working. Right. Um, and he uh, wraps himself head to toe, except for one of his eyes is exposed. It's very creepy. Yeah, yeah and terry cloth, yeah, he's got a, got, it is, it's, it's, it's a little like a, it's, What's the word I'm looking for? Because it's not like a mummy. It's bulkier than a mummy. Um, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. But it, it gives that that idea of, like, what's underneath. Right. Yeah. You know, but what's basically, happened he insulates him. himself. Yeah, he insulates himself to try to keep himself cool. Um, you know, it's 3 a.m. And, and he demands that the, the mechanic who lives on the first floor come up and take a look at his engine to see if he can get it fixed. And he can't. Um, so right. he... Um, he tells our lead to go and get ice, get lots of ice to try and keep me cool. Um, right. Well, and also, it's kind of odd that a guy that's trying to stay cool wraps himself in mm -hmm. in towels and whatnot. Well, yes, but because if uh, if you but were... We, we find out later the yes. reason. Yes. Because wouldn't you be trapping your body heat? Right. Oh, you would oh be my. getting warmer and warmer mm -hmm. if you wrapped yourself up. But then we, we find out after the... After the the refrigeration unit ceases to mm -hmm. exist, yeah. and the ice is not doing what he wanted it to do. No, the ice is and not working. Re refusing to see her, and she says, well, they'll have it fixed in just a few hours, and mm -hmm. he said, more than 15 minutes, and it's too late. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in mid-sentence, he kind of just drops off. And you hear a thud. Oh no. <laughs> she opens the door, and there he is, a decomposed corpse. Because oh, he's yeah. been dead the whole time. No, his condition was dead. Well, and he told her through the door before he passed that he had actually passed away 10 years ago. Yeah. And so he'd found this way to keep himself going by keeping his body cool. Mm hmm. So he basically, he willpowered himself or necromanced himself somehow to stay alive. And then he became a zombie. Yeah. And zombies rot, but he found out that if he just keeps himself in a refrigerator... Yeah, he won't rot. Um, 
Yeah, and this My is... My solution was pickling, but, you know. Yeah, which is which is a different movie. That's a... Uh... God, who is that? Is that... Is that... Zach Galifianakis in that movie? American Pickle? Uh, that's the plot of a movie where... Wait, where... Yeah. that's real? No, yeah, there, there, there's a movie that came out in the last <laughs> couple of years himself. where a guy accidentally falls into a pickle crock in, like, 1900, and then they find him in, like, the year 2000, and his, like, great-great-grandson is like, oh, you're my ancestor, and they have weird fish-out-of-water hijinks. Oh, bizarre. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is, <laughs> I haven't seen it, but it looks fun. Somehow I totally missed that that even happened. That's, yes. I'm kind of intrigued. Yeah, pickle American movie. Pickle. But I was right. I was thinking about this, um, I don't know this for sure, but so cryogenics, you know, like cold sleep, preserving people right. with coldness, um, like is... Disney. Yeah, like <laughs> Walt Disney. Yeah, like Walt Disney. Um is a sci-fi concept and it's been you know like an endemic sci-fi concept uh, for as long as i've been reading sci-fi but i'm curious because cool air i think came out you know in the late 20s early 30s this may be the first literary reference to some form of cryogenics um oh. i'm not sure but the you know i don't want to say the idea started here but it's it's early enough it's possible i mean i feel like they That's might have had a frozen caveman story before this yes but this is this is science preserving right. you with where coolness. somebody intentionally froze yeah themselves. because right. i mean basically if he could have kept himself cool the 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 notion here is that maybe he could have you know lived in undeath perpetually right. if he was able to keep cool if he had um, better refrigeration units yes. in the future. Yeah, like, you know, if he'd had an uninterrupted power supply and lived somewhere where, you know, you didn't right. have a thunderstorm when it was 110 degrees outside. <laughs> there is a really good episode of The X-Files from one of the very early seasons where it involves cryogenics and then ties in with time travel somehow. Mm -hmm. And I won't give away more than that, but it's they talk about, they get in detail about the logistics of why cryogenics haven't hasn't worked previously until mm -hmm. this story that they present yeah and the x-files because there's issues with cell damage because of the crystals that form in the ice yeah basically you need to as i understand it and i am not a uh, cryogenicist or a physicist or anything but um when you freeze something slowly so the slower you freeze something the mm -hmm. more time there are for ice crystals to form and those crystals burst cells basically. right anybody who's ever um, frozen berries for the summer knows how they turn out if you thought yeah they them. just bleed everywhere yeah. um, and humans do much the same thing if you freeze them and then thaw them um but if That's you a nice picture yes if you <laughs> if you flash freeze something though um, it tends not to happen. So something freezes very quickly. And so the cell structure stays smooth yes, then, instead right, of yes. getting ground up. And even more interestingly, this is not something that, to my knowledge, we've been able to replicate with science, but there are a few very rare cases of people who have been submerged in near-freezing water, but not freezing water. Mm -hmm. And they have not drowned because their body gets cold and shuts down and they basically stop breathing, but they don't need oxygen because now their blood is pumping. And then they're pulled out of the water like well after you would assume that like, you know, they would have died from drowning or brain damage or something. Mm -hmm. And then they're resuscitated and they're mostly fine because their body is just in this stasis um, from having been brought near freezing, but not frozen. Well, don't fish and amphibians kind of do that yes yeah. yes they do yeah. so it's it's a thing that happens in nature um but we don't we don't know how to do it to you know avert death which is what people are always trying to do sure. um but it's, it's fascinating and it's it is it's a fun sci-fi topic to think about because you know when the uh, we talk about you know having colony ships that we're sending off to alpha centauri or something we're putting people into cold sleep basically so they don't need to consume resources right. while they're in For transit the long journey exactly yeah. um the but basis yeah. of many sci-fi stories. Oh, it's so good. I, yeah. Waking up too early or too late. Oh, no! Or waking up at the right time, but something went wrong. Something's gone horribly wrong, and you're the only one that woke up. So right. not to get too graphic, but we were talking at the end of watching this segment, 
I had seen this before. Um, I'd have seen Pikmin's model before too, but I, Pikmin's model was one that had stood out in my mind over the years because it was just a little bit more memorable to me. And I know mm -hmm. I'd seen this one. In my head, I thought he turns to mush at the end instead of a corpse, which is interesting because I'd never read the short story, but Andy, you were saying that it It's pretty implied. Um, this, this again, is one way. of those Lovecraft, you know, I can't describe the thing I found that had once been his body. It's but It's so like, horrifying, Yeah, it's though. so horrifying. Yeah. And, you know, you know it, it was, you know, I think it was goo, and he says it, like, leaves a slime trail around the apartment. Uh -huh. And it's, you know, it's, it's got, it, he turns into, like, a jelly monster, I think. Right. Um, but obviously, it's going to be hard to do, you know, for a Night Gallery episode. But sure. it would have been great great though if you heard a splash and then it like it just panned down to her feet as like yeah like it goo rushed comes out. tripling oh that would have been fantastic rushed out from underneath the door i don't think that would have gotten past the network the sensor, sensors yeah. in 1971 just goo yeah but it's too horrific the human body being gooified no yeah. yeah. I'm clutching my pearls. No but one I, should watch it's that. It's funny because I never read the story, and so I'm wondering if maybe I saw another version of Cool Air on some other anthology show, which is why I have mm. the goo in my head. Like, it's very possible, and I didn't look this up before we recorded, and I apologize, but it's very possible that there was another television adaptation mm. of this that I saw. Sure. Yeah. Um, people have been trying for as long as TV's existed to adapt H.P. Lovecraft stuff. Um and I would say, for the most part, not doing a great job. Um, these episodes are pretty good, honestly. Like Although I say, film-wise, there's so many good things that were influenced by. Yes, influenced by. So um, I actually want to talk about that okay. for a little bit, but we can wrap up the episode. Sure. And I think the um, the big reveal, and I thought this was just a, a a perfect night gallery touch. It's so macabre. Um, but after she finishes telling the story of what happened to this uh, this doctor the leaves blow off of his tombstone and it has two dates of death on right. it. And awesome. it's just perfect. It's so good. So he, he died in 1913 and, and he died in 1923. Ah. Before we move on to a discussion, a kind of a more general Lovecraft discussion, I wanted to mention that um, just a little bit of the background of the two main, main actors in this. So mm -hmm. Barbara Rush, who played Agatha Howard, she, I think, was most known for her performance on Peyton Place, which she was on 75 episodes of Peyton Place. And back when that was on the air, that was, like, one of the most popular shows. You know, it was a was it soap a, opera. Oh, it was a soap yeah, opera. Yeah, from okay. back in the day. Um, she also was on the 1960s Batman for a couple oh, episodes, which who was Who is she? You know, I can't remember. We we actually have all of Batman on DVD. So and, many episodes, though. But... Yeah, there's so many episodes. There's a, it's great when certain people like Carolyn Jones comes on there and Vincent mm. Price is on there. He's yeah. so good. Right. But yeah, so she she was definitely on it for one of the two parters. Mm -hmm. But she has such a distinctive face, and it was really bothering me. Cause I'm like, I feel like I've seen her from other things. Although I've definitely seen her in this segment before. Yes. But she's just so striking. I never have ever seen an episode of Peyton Place. But she was kind of a veteran of television. She just did mm -hmm. a lot of bit parts different episodes here and there um and you get a lot of people like that showing up in the night gallery yes um people who have like like old hollywood folks people who have been acting in television and like maybe even as back, far back as silent films by the time night gallery rolls around people have been plying their trade for decades at that yeah. point and it shows a lot of these people are classically trained actors and you they act like it also get some very recognizable people in episodes as well like you know in the pilot you have Joan Crawford but throughout the mm. series and i don't know maybe it might be fun to maybe for a future night gallery in november do ones with where you have like famous faces um mm. there's 
actually this season towards the beginning of the season there's a story segment that features a very young clint howard hmm. as a psychic child and that's a pretty eerie one and there's an episode that has sally fields and oh gosh i'm trying to remember who the male actor is and he just passed away recently and i'm blinking on his name i feel like a jerk um anyway that one that one's really good it's like sally field is kind of possessed by ghostly spirits hmm. and there's also some really good uh john astin yes john well. astin is in several like mm -hmm. it's he's kind of a in fact the people that put out the book that we have of the paintings also put out a sort of a behind-the-scenes stories book mm -hmm. about Night Gallery, and John Astin does the foreword for that one. Hmm. So that's... Sorry, I have to does look up... Does he do more than just two, or...? You know, I'm not sure about that. Um... My favorite is The Bummer Man. Right. Okay, so it was Dean Stockwell, and apologies for blanking on his name. He just passed away recently, so mm -hmm. R.I.P. Dean Stockwell. He was amazing. Also in the Dunwich Horror in the 60s, hmm. so talking about Lovecraft. Yeah, but I've never was, seen that version of the, the um, Dunwich Horror. It's, a, it's, it's, it's him and Sandra D. It's interesting. I, I don't hmm. remember a ton about it other than I remember that it's just, you know, kind of like classic 60s right. horror yeah. style. It's also, that, but like, it kind of almost felt like they made the movie just because they convinced Sandra D to be somewhat scantily clad and writhing on a stone. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Sure. The whole more, more of an exploitation movie. based right. on that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a feature film. But, yeah, he he was in the episode. Um, he's in the episode with Sally Field. Like, he plays her husband. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a nice episode. I like that one a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of different, you know, famous people and recognizable faces on the series, though. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, especially if you're familiar with TV from the, the kind of 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, and, and uh, Carl Lucas, who plays Dr. Munoz, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm saying that wrong again. Anyway, he, uh, he, again, was somebody who just was like a bit player on tons of shows. He did episodes of Mannix. He was on Bewitched. Mm -hmm. Like, just who's who, like, the 60s through the 80s. And um, so, you know, again, you, you get these just, like, veteran television actors that come in, and you see their faces, and you're like, I know that guy, but you mm -hmm. don't necessarily know who they are. Oh, yeah. But other than that, I think that's that's pretty much it as far as talking about cool air. If yeah. you want to, I mean, we are a television podcast, but it is you can't really talk about Lovecraft without talking about other things mm -hmm. that have come mm -hmm. about. I mean, obviously you had the series Lovecraft Co Country, which was yes was out yeah. just recently and unfortunately canceled, which is baffling to me. How something could win so many awards? Yeah. Well, the 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 story of the first season concluded, so okay. yeah, it's it's well, not like it was based on a book. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, and and the book. I have not read the book, but I, as I understand it, and this book was not read, uh, written by H.P. Lovecraft. It's stories no. that, that are Lovecraft-esque in a region called Lovecraft Country. Um, but it's basically an anthology of uh, disparate stories, and the show wove these stories together with an overarching plot. And that plot was concluded um, in the show, so I could, I could see how maybe they wouldn't renew it. Um, it's it's great. It's Lovecraft inspired. It's there's a lot of good horror in it. There's a lot of Lovecrafty monsters. It's fantastic, really. Um, well, it, sometimes you can kill a thing if you base it on material that like 
wraps up yeah and then you have to come up with new convoluted storylines i mm -hmm. don't know i still i still need to catch up with the show so yeah i don't have a feel for whether or not it felt like there could have been more but a lot of people were really crushed so. hmm. yeah um but yeah if you talk about film um the one that jumps to my mind first and i will i call this a good movie but not a good lovecraft ad uh, adaptation um and that is Herbert West Reanimator, which is oh. just just a wonderful movie. Yeah. Um, I love that, but it is not a good representation of what happens in that story. Have you seen From Beyond? <laughs> I haven't. Stuart Gordon, who directed The Reanimator, if I'm remembering mm -hmm. that correctly, also directed From Beyond, and that is a really cool hmm. adaptation, I think. I mean, as someone who hasn't read a lot of Lovecraft, it just yeah. I feel like as far as the connecting with the otherworldly and the overarching dread and then the, also just the weirdness with a capital W, yeah. like that is something, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Stuart Gordon did a lot of Lovecraft-based mm. film, and he also did a Masters of Horror episode. I believe he did Dreams in the Witch House. He did that? Yeah. That That is almost bar none before the Nicolas Cage movie, which I'll get to, but before mm. The Color Out of Space... That is one of the most faithful adaptions to a Lovecraft story I'd ever seen, The, dream, the Dreams in the Witch House. That, yeah. that was very well done for that episode of The Masters of Horror. Yeah, I remember liking that one quite um, a bit. And that, the, I still sometimes can't listen to that story because I'll listen to Wayne June read Lovecraft in his sonorous tones at night sometimes. Um, and I cannot listen to The Dreams of the Witch House without having nightmares because it's all it is, the, the inciting incident, is he looks at an angle in his bedroom and he's like, that angle seems a little wrong. And I too have often felt sometimes. I've that, had, yeah, I've had that. Yeah, moment. where there's like a corner <laughs> or something. You're just like, this, something about this doesn't seem right. I don't like this. Yeah. Um, it's great. The Dreams in the Witch House is a fantastic story. Um, but yeah, but I, I think bar none so far, the best, most recent adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's work is the Nicolas Cage um, Color Out of Space, which, if I'm not mistaken, was a Shudder joint. Uh, that is a movie that the channel Shudder um, both funded and produced. Um, and boy... You, you know, it's, you never think that color can be horrifying. You know, <laughs> horror movies are supposed to be dark. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're not supposed to see a lot of stuff. There's supposed to be a lot of shadows, but woo, psychedelic colors are coming for you and it is upsetting. It's great. Yeah. Um, and I think it captures the otherworldliness of it. That's one of the things that I think is really interesting about that is that we, I'm not sure if this would have been possible in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I'm not sure if this would sure. have been possible even 10 years ago. But the use of color, you know, through computers and stuff in that movie really makes it feel otherworldly. It makes it, you know, um, it's, it's past what I would describe as psychedelic. Um, the, the, the way the totally. colors shift and morph. It's, it's, it's almost alien. Um, and it's not quite Lovecraftian because, in, you know, obviously the color out of space, it's an indescribable color. It's a color that, you know, maybe only a mantis shrimp with its several cones could see. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas we only have our, our three, the, uh, the three color receptors. Looks um, like memories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think you would appreciate it from beyond. It's not, there's no comedy in it like the reanimator. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean... But it's kind of oh, like yeah. neon. I'm showing mm -hmm. Andy some. We'll, 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 some we'll put some images. stills in the show notes Google of From Beyond. I mean, or I don't know. Or not. People want to see you that you can not, look up From Beyond. You can Google From Beyond. But you're beyond. talking about the color, the color out of space, like mm -hmm. the way that's shot and the way that looks. Like those elements the are in From Beyond. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's it's unfortunate that blues. we're talking about problematic people again. It's unfortunate 
that Richard Stanley was having some domestic abuse issues in his life and is now uh, probably not going to be able to do Dunwich Horror because, you know, he he peed in his cereal or something, mm. you know. I don't know what the exact phrase yeah, is, but he definitely he definitely ruined ruined the nice bed that he had that was that was coming to him, being made for him because People loved Color Out of Space. It was, I, we saw it at a preview screening before it was generally released and mm. it was really fun. Um, yeah. But, and it's, it's unfortunate. Like I love Mandy, the Manos, Cos, uh, Panos Cosmatos, is uh -huh. that his name? Panos Cosmatos film. I love Mandy, but I think superficially people are going to look and say, oh, these weird, colorful Nicolas Cage movies. Oh, you know, Mandy, I think Mandy overshadowed the Color Out of Space a lot. And while I love Mandy... I think Color Out of Space, you know, needs cred. It's, it, it is a great movie. It definitely, I, as somebody who hasn't read Lovecraft but has seen a lot of material developed from Lovecraft, I think you start to get a sense of the strangeness mixed with the overarching dread of, there's a lot of body horror involved, like you lose control and mm. this new entity or this actually very old entity, yeah. this ancient entity is coming to reclaim your physical space that mm -hmm. you've been inhabiting this whole time and it's altering the landscape and it's altering your body and that, that just that intensified creeping dread that yeah. seems to be thematic with Lovecraft is is something I really appreciate and so I appreciate a lot of work that's adapted from his stuff. I also really love the John Carpenter film In the Mouth of Madness. Which yes. Has strong Lovecraft. So influence. good. It's kind of like a mashup of Lovecraft meets Stephen King, but then yeah. you know, Stephen King also has his New England horror. So he does. Yeah. So... Very in the same vein, and it's also and it's also a Sam Neill vehicle, and Sam Neill yes. famously in. Ooh. Another Lovecraftian film, uh, almost the. Um, you talking about uh, space. Yeah, Event Horizon. I love Event Horizon. Yeah, and Event Horizon apparently has a lot of detractors, but I love that oh, movie. Oh no, I love that movie. I don't know what it is I even love about it so much because I I'm not really that into anything else. That is it. Is it Hellraiser in space? It is Hellraiser <laughs> in space. Yeah, but, yeah, basically. But it has. I think it's Sam Neill's crazy performance in it that yes. kind of yeah. makes it for me because the Hellraiser films I enjoy to a certain extent, at least the first couple ones. Mm -hmm, sure. Um, but well, there's this... Sam Neill gets this look in his eye of like he looked into the void, it made him insane, mm -hmm. but he enjoys it. Yeah, he likes it. He I likes mean, what even he in saw. Jurassic Park. Yeah. When things are getting weird. <laughs> he's into it. Like he just gets this gleam in his eye. Don't trust Sam Neill. Like yeah. if he was gonna lead us into like a dark jungle somewhere, I would be very concerned. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I love about Horizon and it's just it's usually I don't go for things that are really twisted and like overly gory, but mm. I just love that movie so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of unfortunate Lovecraft movies that will probably never be made, uh, Guillermo del Toro, who, uh, you mentioned has a foreword in this book, the, mm -hmm. the art book of the night gallery, also a consummate Lovecraft fan. Um, the, you know, he, he directed Hellboy. Hellboy is incredibly influenced by Lovecraft in the best possible way. If you haven't read Hellboy or seen Hellboy, go do that right now. Um, but uh, he was slated to direct a At the Mountains of Madness film. Oh, I remember um, hearing about but that. But apparently that's been shelved now, too. Oh, so, no. yeah, so it's not happening. But Yeah, Richard Stanley was going to do a remake of The Dunwich Horror, which mm -hmm. I was really intrigued by. And, and is he the one that did The Color Out of Space? He did, oh. yeah. But he's, you know, he's not, you know, basically people who wanted to work with him don't want to work with him anymore. He and got I himself totally canceled. understand it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just like, damn it. Another person 
who had talent and skills and was also a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, to put it mildly. Allegedly, a, you know. I, yeah, I, I think it's there's problem, enough yeah. evidence to back that one up. But but he actually, uh, there. Portland has a H.P. Lovecraft Festival that also happens in Rhode Island. It's put on by the same people. Mm. Um, they also put on an awesome just... Um, summertime horror festival mm-hmm. so shout out to the lovecraft film festival that happens every october here in portland oregon and they actually had richard stanley came out and they did a preview of color out of space in 2019 hmm. in october and we actually went to the lovecraft festival that that year we didn't go see that screening but they had roger corman there Aww. and victoria price Vincent mm-hmm. price's daughter and they were talking about an adaptation that he had done. And so it was amazing because we had to see Roger Corman on stage. Yeah. And, um, and we actually met Victoria Price. And there were so many good short films that year because they always do a bunch of horror shorts from mm-hmm. lots of like Indian upcoming filmmakers. And then they have a few features and they have art. And yeah. it's, it's a great festival. So if you're ever in the Portland area around early October, I highly recommend it. Or... I think the the one that happens in Rhode Island happens in August. Mm-hmm. So if you're in either of those areas and you can check out the HP Lovecraft HP Lovecraft Film Festival, sorry mm-hmm. guys, uh, definitely check that out. Well, it's, don't they do it online now too? They do. Yeah, actually, because so you don't even have to be in Portland because of COVID. Not all the material this year was available both online and in person. I don't think, um, but they do offer streaming content you can buy a streaming pass and watch a lot of the short films and hmm. different things and um and i think last year they did a, at least portland horror film fest was just like 100 percent virtual last year yeah so they do good work and it's i think it's a, a labor of love for them and mm-hmm. so definitely check that out and they actually in 2018 mm-hmm. they showed the two night gallery segments that we were talking about for this episode yeah they showed pikmin's model and they showed cool air so i thought that was really cool mm-hmm. that they did that and made me happy and also you know you can take all the drinks because we're talking about the hollywood yes, theater so again. many things so many portland things but yeah i one of the things i think that to, to kind of bring this all together but one of the things I, I i think that makes hp lovecraft's horror so interesting and i think that that kind of sets it you know, uh, started kind of the new weird horror, cosmic horror way, is that death isn't the scary thing anymore. Like, you know, slasher movie, the scary thing is this guy's going to kill you. Right. Um, a lot of times, sometimes most of the time in H.P. Lovecraft stories, like, death is the ideal outcome for you. You just died. You weren't driven crazy. You weren't possessed by a demon. You weren't re- a reincarnated star god. Um, you just died. That's that's it. Mm-hmm. Um and the the real horror comes not from this this fear of our own mortality, which is kind of a classic horror thing, but it comes from like Allison was saying, you know, this 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 dread that we have of being small and insignificant, and maybe just kind of you know a fly on the windshield of some cosmic space god, right? Right. Um, so well, and ha- the the immortality, but your immortality is hell, basically. Yes. Yeah. It's, or, it's, it's a fear of hell kind of a or thing. Or so mm-hmm. strange and foreign to you that it's it's not necessarily hell per se, but it's it's so bizarre and out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. that the transformation is hellish to you. Yeah. Um, I was going to bring up, okay, I have not seen the movie Annihilation, but I kind of got 
the feeling that I there might either. be a Lovecraftian theme there. Is that the, there the Christopher Nolan movie? It's the it's the one where um, I believe Natalie Portman's in it, and right. there, there's like a there's basically this sort of dimensional bubble that's growing in our world and changing hmm. the landscape. Oh wait, no, I'm thinking of Interstellar. Sorry, that's yeah, a Christopher no, Nolan movie. Annihilation, and it's like mutating the landscape, mm -hmm. and so they're like sending people in to explore well that sounds fun new... yeah it's it's like a, a horror sci-fi film that i've been meaning to watch and haven't but i kind of think that that mm -hmm. um is in that vein and also i wanted to mention some of our listeners are also listeners to horror movie podcast there's a really great lovecraft episode from one of the earlier seasons of horror movie podcast so i will link that in our show hmm. notes if hmm. people want to go on a lovecraft kick and hear of I believe the guest for that was a Lovecraft scholar. So wow, yeah, you know, far more educated on that subject than any of us. Yeah, if this if this interests you, definitely check that out. Yeah, so I'll, I will put that in the show notes because mm -hmm. we are glad that HMP is back. Yeah. So yeah, I think unless there was any other films or adaptations that you wanted to talk about, you know, not this. off the top of my head. Like I said, there's there are so many things that were inspired by Lovecraft that just sort of don't don't really meet the source material. Mm -hmm. um, this one, I think, you know, Night Gallery does a pretty good job um, of it so far. When and you have things where you have, you know, elements of stories where Lovecraft is definitely an influence in that world, but it's not a Lovecraft story, like something like The Thing, yes. for example. Oh, goodness. The Thing is... You know, ah. it's... You yeah. have the, the, the creatures and the way they develop is mm -hmm. is something that seems like it's taken from that. And then, you know, you have your silly things like um, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, <laughs> where you have the... Ne well, I mean, Evil Dead 1, which is not silly, but you have the Necronomicon. The Necronomicon. And, yeah, it's... Well, 2 is not necessarily silly. It it's, is extremely it silly. It definitely <laughs> runs. It runs Two's. the line between the Three Stooges meets like a poltergeist. Right. Two's still kind of horrific and has jokes. Like it has situational humor, you know. Whereas, like once you get an Army of Darkness, it's just full on slapstick yeah. live comedy. action. It's goofball, right. comic yeah. book kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but I, I, I. I would still almost classify Evil Dead 2 as almost a horror comedy because there's so many just crazy shots uh, like like Ash laughing maniacally in the room full of things that are laughing at him. Right. Um you know it's 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 weird and I can see how some people might be scared by that but it's also, you know, it's it's, it's really funny to have a lamp laughing at you. Right. Yeah, um, it's it's a fine it's a fine line. Yeah. But it's I love that movie. But yeah, it's it's interesting because they incorporate the Necronomicon but there isn't anything really that happens within that world that feels like a Lovecraft story. Like it's definitely its well, own he does. Thing. He summons an eldritch out of space time monster at the end oh, of I it, guess and that's then gets true. sucked back yeah, through time. That's yeah, that's true. At the very end, so. right? And all the dead are just... basically there to herald in the coming of yeah. oh. the dead. I guess mm -hmm. it's just because I get such strong. Harryhausen vibes from the Deadites. I just associate right. it more with something, something like that, like mm -hmm. Jason and the Argonauts or something. Oh yeah, sure, or um, slightly zombie esque. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, so I mean, but there's so many places where it pops up, and there's another movie that I'm thinking of specifically. But to say that it's Lovecraftian in nature kind of spoils the ending, so I'm not going to mm -hmm. say what it is. It's Fair a enough. Horror, horror comedy from. 
I want to say 2012, maybe. Oh, I think I know the one. Yeah, yeah. but I'm not going to go any further. If you know it, you know it. Yes. Um, but yeah, like, it's just, like we said, it's, he was a problematic person, but there's all this cool stuff that kind of was given birth to in a gross magenta pink tentacle colored way mm -hmm. <laughs> because of his writing that we wouldn't have if if he hadn't existed and put stuff out there and I think it also kind of it's interesting to think about his writing about these ancient beings and old ones and the dread of that and how you have in western society rooted in this fear of pre-christian society mm -hmm. and what's underground like yeah. the pagan communities being pushed under ground or you know you, the the fairy legends of northern mm -hmm. europe you know like being pushed they're underground we don't mess with the hills what's you know the old ways the old people like that's a threat yeah and so it's all this otherworldly alien stuff but yet if you think about it if they're what came before then wouldn't we be the intruders and the invaders we and the alien seed somehow yes and but isn't that also terrifying it like is. like what if we don't actually belong here you mm -hmm. know <laughs> I that's that is another big angle of his stories is that um that makes me think of the alien movies now yeah 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 like it's um it's counterintuitive to a lot of people um you know especially people who believe in like the power of education and knowledge and things like that but in Lovecraft there's a there's a big overarching theme of like there's some stuff you shouldn't dig into you shouldn't know this stuff right. because you'll either wake something up and something will notice you that you don't want to notice you or you'll figure something out and it'll drive you crazy um and it happens a lot. And it's, it's kind of an, it's, it is an anti-enlightenment because all of this, you know, scientific inquiry, how does the universe work? We're going to, you know, look down at the atoms and takes things apart. But, um, you know, speaking historically from H.P. Lovecraft, all of those attitudes led up eventually to World War One, and, you know, like chemical weapons and machine guns and barbed wire and all the artillery and stuff. And it's like, well, if that's all that our knowledge and all of our science and all our progress gives to us, you know, Maybe we're better off not knowing some of that stuff. And I think, you know, writ large, cosmically, there's a lot of stories about, you know, well, you go up into space, and what if you knock into something and suddenly it notices these little monkey things from Earth that are, you know, kicking around in its big void? Yeah. You don't, you know, hmm, maybe not. <laughs> it's fun to think about. And I say this as someone who loves, you know, space and science and education and stuff. You know, I, I figure you find an evil ancient old text, try and figure it out. It might be good for you. Well, here's a thing that popped into my head. Are there Lovecraft influence episodes of Star Trek? Any of the versions of the series? I wonder. That. I feel like there might be. There may be. There might be a, a Davenport something, episode. Something to look <laughs> into. Yeah. There's definitely Lovecraft influenced episodes of Doctor Who, especially oh, yeah. in the more recent runs. Well, I would even argue that the, our one foray into Doctor Who when we did the Ark of Space, mm -hmm. like that. You know, it, it it's we made a lot the of giant we, space mantis thing, right? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we made a lot of jokes about about turning into a bug. And, you know, it's right. But, Kafka. Yeah, it's but it it definitely could be yeah taken in that way a little bit. Well, there's there, there's an episode of the David Tennant uh, run of Doctor Who. Um, where he, the, the, there's literally Satan is on a planet. There's like a devil and he's trapped yeah. on a planet. Um, and there's I think some, I might've seen that. There are some really good shots of like an alien species that all of them have had their mind wiped out. And this, this like cosmic entity that's trapped on this planet is speaking through them and they mm -hmm. all speak in unison and they look like they, they unnervingly just like look at the doctor and follow him around. It's, oh, it's good stuff, but it's very Lovecrafty. Um, yeah, I just dig it. It's a fun universe. 
a fun and terrifying universe. Well, you know, it wouldn't be fun if it wasn't a little <laughs> bit scary, right? Well, yeah, sure. I think, I mean, as, as those of us who love horror, I think we kind of have to agree. Yes. Well, unless anybody, think, any, anybody has anything else to say, I think we'll wrap this one up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, as usual, we thank everybody for listening. We hope that your holiday season is off to a good start. And we'll try our hardest to be back with you in December. It's looking good, but I just, I don't like to make promises anymore. Yeah. I like the episodes, we'll try to get out as many as we can and they'll, they'll happen when they happen. Yep. Um, we got, we got we've a, been learning. a lot in the hopper. I've got a lot of, um, more sci-fi esque stuff, less horror esque stuff that we might take a look at, but definitely a lot of things that we, that we might be seeing coming up. here. Yeah. I'm not going to announce what we're going to do for December because that's still to be determined, but there definitely is a December episode planned of some sort. Yeah. So, and hopefully Val will feel well enough to join us when you have your tonsils out as an adult, the recovery time is a bit longer than when you're a kid. So yeah. we just, we don't want to put her in any kind of position where she's straining her voice. Um, making yourself uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but we will have her back with us soon and yeah, uh, hope you're all doing well and that you will join us next time on the Haunted Davenport. Thanks for listening. Never take